Osiris. Hi, this is Lucas Nelson with Promise of the Real, and the podcast you're listening to is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Sign up for the newsletter at OsirisPod.com to stay in the loop. Episode 96 of the Blues Tape. I'm Harvey Couch alongside Jeff Collab. And thanks for joining us as we take our uh, sometimes journey through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. Um, as it is today, Jeff, uh, happy Veterans Day. Uh, to all the veterans out there, I am not a veteran. And uh, I don't have any veterans in my family, uh, actually. But uh, yes. Thanks to those, all those listening, all those listening who have, and or or not listening, those who <laughs> veterans yeah. who are not listening to the. Are we uh, are we on Armed Forces Radio yet? Uh, I, you know, I'm waiting to hear back, but uh, federal government is is focused on other things right now. Um, before before we get into our hot takes on politics and sports, there is some news in the uh, in the music world. That has come out uh, just today, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Two breaking was, news stories. Yeah. Um, first was the the first shows in uh, stateside scheduled for 2020 for Widespread Panic. And that was uh, three nights at uh, the Chicago Theater in Chicago, the first uh, weekend in April. So mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised to – or I guess now that no, – I forget. I, I apologize. I totally – ignored the five night run at the beacon, um, <laughs> which is the beginning of, uh, end of February, beginning of March. And then this will be, uh, at the beginning of April. And I was a little surprised when I saw, um, that they had not been to Chicago since, uh, 2016. It feels like that's, uh, you know, more of a regular stop, but I guess since they have slowed down, it has not been on the uh, regular rotation. So good to see, um, them bringing bringing that back in, maybe that that brings the likelihood of a of a Louisville appearance uh, more to the fore. Yes, I saw you. I saw you tweeted uh, about uh-huh. that. Um, let's hope it's not wishful thinking. I, I, uh, those dates are obviously tantalizing to try to um, attend. So, uh, can I have? Can I complain about one thing? Is that okay? Well, it would be a first. So yeah. Yes. So my, I guess my complaint is this is I, it was always, it's always easier if they would just tell you like what their plans are so that you can plan like the whole thing. Yeah. Just the whole thing. So, cause I would rather take time and take money out of my pocketbook to come see you in Louisville uh-huh. than hedge my bets and say, Chicago, that's close to home. I could do that. That's just up the road, right. whatever. Um, cause, but then the other part of it is, is that you'd have literally zero time to figure it out because tickets always go on sale like four days after they announce the show. Yeah. So, so you, you've got to, you've got to pull the trigger and you just got to decide. And as you know, Harvey, and as 
maybe other many others in my life. Now that's something I have a lot of difficulty with is making those snap decisions. Yeah, you get guts of a decision paralysis. <laughs> yeah, a little bit um, sometimes, but uh, but no, it's great that they're doing doing that run, and hopefully there will be some more dates, and hopefully there will be a uh, April May uh, announcement for for Louisville. Um, and, I mean, uh, I, I I get. Um... I mean, I get that they have to get these things out sort of as soon as possible, especially with the venue and, you know, you want to be able to promote it and have as big a window for ticket sales as possible. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard, especially since you're only going to likely do, you know, last week, last year they did what, four or three, three weekends in the spring, Mm -hmm. DC, Port Chester and Durham, um, and then the, the, the Sweetwater and the Trondasa. I, I assume Trondasa is going to happen again. So you've got that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how hard is it to just coordinate all that and announce it, you know, at the same time? And so that people can look at it and see and make their picks. Um, I don't know. Brown cat and a brown cat, I guess. <laughs> I, don't know. I was just waiting for my moon times to show up in the mail. So <laughs> well, call before you haul. Call before you haul, everybody. That's right. Um so, uh, so that's big news. I wonder if uh, I have not looked to see if the uh, if the Cubs uh, home schedule coordinates with the uh, with have the shows. Even, have they even announced that yet? Um, yeah, of course, Jeff. I they mean, it's have? only five months away. Ugh. Uh, I think so. Let's see. They're at home. You got the uh, you got the D backs on Friday. Saturday and Sunday day games wow. on Friday and Saturday at TBD on Sunday. So that's great. Wow. You got the double header, the, uh, the Cubs panic double header. Um, so uh, yeah, sign me up. If there's no, uh, if there's no palace show, I might have to pull that off. Maybe there will be a uh, widespread panic. Take me out to the ball game or first pitch. Mm. That is, that's happened before, right? JB's done the, done uh-huh. the national anthem before. I don't know about it. Take me out to ball game. That feels like a pretty. You got to be a pretty big level star. Really, big yeah. level star. Ah. Big level. I guess I feel like maybe more like a local. You know, it seems like usually it's more Chicago folks that do that. I guess so. Um, okay, so so that's big news. The other big news is um, the what's the word for when the band gets back together? reuniting the, re, the, yeah, the re, re, reunification <laughs> uh tour of the black crows uh this summer with um chris and rich having i guess buried the hatchet they went on howard stern was that this morning i think oh were they yeah um i didn't get to watch that but i think they discussed it i saw something where chris said you know he basically that he was a dick and he apologized and <laughs> you know <laughs> we'll see. I'm I'm a little concerned that the tour is like late summer. I feel like we'd have a better chance of actually getting through it if it was in the spring. Summer feels like a long time for everybody to get along uh, without any problems. Yeah, um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah, and so have you read Steve Gorman's book? I have not. Have you? Okay. I have read it. Okay. Um, I was excited to read it because I love the crows. And it's basically, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is my summary of the book. Chris is a dick. Mm-hmm. Rich is a dick. Mm-hmm. We were the best band in the world and we blew it. And then lather, rinse, repeat. That's ah. basically 
the story in the book. And I mean, obviously, there's more nuance in that. How long were they the greatest band in the world? So, and I, and actually, I kind of agree with him. Uh, Basically, 92, Southern Harmony Tour. Um, 92, 93, and then obviously, I mean, 95 and 96, uh, 97, early 97 are often seen as like their glory days. 96 is the, is like 96 is my year for panic and 96 is my year for the crows. Um, I mean, it's really interesting cause it addresses sort of Chris's, um, uh, shifts in taste in music and people and, substances and whatnot but also you know he is like this kind of hardcore kid who then hates hippies and then becomes a hippie and then becomes like a glam rocker and that i mean it's just it's really interesting and then rich is always the takes the silent brooding type a little too far (laughs) um but it's really so reading that and then right after that book came out is when the rumor dropped that they were going to reunite for this 30th anniversary tour when basically that whole book is Steve Gorman lamenting that they didn't get back together for a 25th anniversary tour, which was the plan all along. And then that's when Chris sort of blew the whole thing up by demanding more money, making Steve, Steve was a partner in the band, making him an employee of, uh, of the band, mm-hmm. um, cutting Rich's percentage out of everything. Um, and so that's when it kind of all blew up. And then Chris went and did his thing with uh, his band, which I can't remember the name of right uh, now. The Brotherhood. Yeah, thank you. The Brotherhood. And then Rich in, was in Magpie Salute with Mark Ford, which um, was a pretty decent band. And Steve, you know, did Sports Talk and Trigger Hippie and wrote this book. And then, you know... It was not surprising that they got back together. Um, Live Nation is putting a huge effort behind this. I mean, the tour basically runs for two and a half months with a couple breaks. Um, If you look at the tour, it's very much like a classic rock oldies tour where they do two Mm -hmm. nights on, two nights off, two nights on, one night off. Um, There's not sustained runs, which shows me two things. One is they're giving them time in between gigs, but then they're also probably not going to vary the set list very much. Um, so this isn't really conducive to, and this is one of the things the crows had to deal with too, as like a lot of bands like panic did and fish did, which was after the dead ended, where did people end up? Well, they ended up with the crows in some ways too. Um, and so that was one of Steve's big things was Chris really embraced that. Whereas the rest of the band really didn't. And so, you know, it's the 30th anniversary of their first record. It's my least favorite record probably that they've done, even though there's some classic songs on it. It says they're going to play all the hits, which isn't ne- doesn't necessarily mm. appeal to me, but yeah. they're not coming to Memphis, but they'll be around places that either I have lived or places <laughs> where I know people that do live. And um, so, I, I mean, I'd like to try to see a show again, all this. I love the black colors. I love Chris. Um, and he's one of the best frontman frontmen of my lifetime. Period. Totally. Um, and when he's locked in, there's really nobody better. So just go watch on YouTube. Bring up bring up a live show from like the the Southern Harmony tour, or the I think there's a um, I should find the date. It's just where they open with No Speak, No Slave. I mean, they are just they are an ass kicking band, and that's what Gorman talks about was. You know, they were, you didn't want to follow them. They played all these big festivals. You didn't want to follow them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they just kicked ass and took names. And 
And so anyway, it's great that they're back together, but it is sort of this thing where it's a lot of dates and it's a lot of big venues. And you just fear that by the end of the tour, if the first part of the tour doesn't go well, that it's, <laughs> it's, it's not going to end well. And because well, um, so I mean, I mean, it's not like, and we were texting before, it's not like they're doing, you know, 2,500, 3,000 seat theaters with a mix of small yeah. indoor amphitheaters. They're doing full right. on sheds, you know, yeah. Jones Beach and and uh, Virginia Beach and Bristow and Great Woods and Concord and Shoreline, our Shoreline and like all these places. And it's like more power to them. Yeah. I mean, like you were talking about um, who's, what's the, uh, the promotional company? That's, Live Nation. Uh, yeah, Live Nation. So, like, they clearly are going to put a, a crap ton of cash behind yeah. promoting this. I mean, otherwise, they're going to lose their, you know, their shirt. But, um, yeah, I was surprised. I really thought it was going to be more of a, um, like, I use the example here, uh, you know, in Cincinnati, like, where we saw Tedesco Trucks, which is sort of like mm-hmm. the side venue that's, you know, a pretty good size. You get mm-hmm. what, maybe three, four, three, four thousand. Um and they would pack that, right? And I mean, that would be fun. I'm sure they could charge a decent amount for people to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're playing two nights at Ascend in Nashville. Um, they're doing, you know, the whole Northeast. Uh, and then... Um, I mean, they're playing Deer, the XL Deer, Energy Center in St. Paul. That's a yeah. hockey arena. Yeah, I mean, Deer, you know, Deer Creek, Blossom, yeah. and Cleveland, and then Riverbend in Cincinnati. And... Um, mm-hmm. I just, I mean, yeah, I can't, I just, I can't imagine they're going to get 20,000 people uh, to go see Black Crows. But I mean, I guess if they're positioning it basically as a, a classic rock revival act, maybe you can get, you know. Um, classic rock radio. Yeah. I mean, like people <laughs> and, older than us yeah. to go. Um, well, and, and it's, yes. And I think it's, there's a couple things that are interesting. It's interesting to see if they're going to, pa- if there's, I mean, they'll, undoubtedly have an opening band but what kind of opening band will they have will it be the young up-and-coming hard rock band or will it be another will it be a classic rock Mm -hmm. band um the other thing that's interesting is the makeup of the band and you know there had been a lot of conjecture about who they would invite to come play obviously after gorman's book and the way that their relationship blew up it was pretty (laughs) clear that They were going to ask Steve, yeah. and he was very open and honest about that. And he right. said, of course, for his part, he didn't really know if he would want to do it anyway. Um, but it's very rare that you read one of these announcements. And that was the first thing I wanted to see, not if they were going to play in Memphis, mm-hmm. but who was going to be in the band. Right. And so I looked and I was like, Tim Lefebvre, the guy who played bass in Tedeschi Trucks for a number of years, bass player. It's like, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't know who the other three guys were. And frankly, I didn't even know what the bands were that these guys played in right um isaiah mitchell of earthless on guitar and then joel robinow and raj oja on keyboards and drums respectively from a band called once in future the once in future band had you heard of earthless or the once in once in future band that would be a no so what i think is interesting about that is when they replaced when mark ford left they're they had replaced him with Paul Stacy, who was pro- producer, guitar player, filled in admirably. And then they hired Luther Dickinson. Mm-hmm. And obviously Luther is a front man on his own. He's an awesome guitar player. He could sing. He never sang a note with the Black Crows, never even had a mic <laughs> on, on his side of the stage. Um, mm-hmm. But he played what he needed to play and he kicked ass. And I think he made them better. 
Um, that band ended in 2010 when they came back. They had Jackie Green, mm-hmm. who's another great guitar player, singer, songwriter on his on his own right. Jackie sang. They let Jackie sing and let Jackie play guitar. Um, but again, they've added when they've added people, they've added known quantities. This right. is adding unknown quantities, which means that this is a Chris and Rich show. This sure. is them up front yep. as the as the front guys. It'll be interesting to see stage setup because the stage setup was always sort of you know Chris out front and then Rich off to one one side. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they're both close. Yeah, I would think so. That's probably part um, of the contract. Yeah. And so it's that to me is also really interesting. It's like the two guys everybody's heard of, the one guy maybe hardcore fans have heard of, and then three guys nobody else has nobody's really heard of. Mm-hmm. Um and that's either going to be a recipe for really great success or kind of eh. Um but it's like nobody from either of their other bands, like nobody from the Brotherhood, nobody from uh Magpie Salute. Like it's just starting from scratch. And maybe that's what they need. Maybe yeah. they just need to start because that's probably the other thing too is maybe they need to start from scratch so that there's no factions because that was yeah, all like, like, like yeah, every like Mark, like Mark Ford picked you know Rich and yeah I mean they, they Chris or whatever you know yeah I don't, I don't think anybody ever picked Rich <laughs> um, but I think the uh, it was like the Almond Brothers like there was a Greg bus and a Dicky bus uh-huh. you know and it was at a, there were times when Greg and Dicky were decent to one another but towards the end before they kicked Dickie out, like it was basically you're either on the Dickie bus or the Greg bus. And that was, it. that was like a hard and fast line. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, see what happens. I wish them the best. I hope yeah. it rocks. I mean, yeah. again, I, 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 they're playing tonight. It is veterans day. They're playing at the Bowery um, intimate shows and they're doing one at the Troubadour on Thursday night. I think the 14th. Yeah. I saw that. It was so, pretty cool. You could buy tickets at the, you know, at the Bowery you know, and it was, right. and it was one ticket per person. So basically, nice. you know, you had to go buy your own ticket and that was it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see those reports. I assume there will be a review on Relics and our jam base uh, sometime soon to kind of give the lowdown. But yeah, it's really, and again, I, I could talk about this for all, but the last, and I have been, we have been. Um, but I think also the first record is an area where there's not going to be a lot of contention between Chris and Rich too, because it was probably more, it was Chris or Rich. They both uh, Rich says, Chris says, I'm thrilled and blessed to be playing with my brother, celebrating the music we've made and bringing our lives together full circle. Long live rock and roll and the Black Crows. And Rich says, first and foremost, I'm really happy to have my brother back in my life and happy to have a little extra money in my pocket to be able to play music again together and celebrate the first record we made as kids is a gift to have these songs stand up after 30 years is something I never could have fathomed. So I think that's also part of this too it's safe territory mm-hmm. um because it really wasn't until after southern harmony when things got really divisive after yeah. george after george Raculius was out and they had a different producer and chris really started to assert himself as the as the leader and really the direction the band was going to go and and so so it, you know it makes sense and like i said i hope it kicks ass so what i want to know is are you going to are you going to go all in on the uh, the jealous again side stage VIP package for your ticket? There you is get, a jealous uh, again side stage VIP package. You get one premium reserve ticket with a VIP side stage viewing, early uh-huh. entry into the venue, an exclusive pre-show meet and greet with the Black Crows, which I'm sure would be entertaining. Right. A personal <laughs> photograph with the Black Crows, 
a collectible Shake Your Money Maker lyric book autographed by the Black Crows, a um, Shake Your Money Maker flask, Shake Your Money Maker playing cards, Shake Your Money Maker dice set, an official meet and greet laminate, an on-site VIP host. And how um, much is that above and beyond you, ticket cost? Well, no, that is your ticket. Do you want to guess okay. how much that ticket costs? Five hundred dollars. Seven hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> and that's why, ladies and gentlemen, we <laughs> this is happening. Um, I mean, I think that again, that that's the pull of something Live Nation can do, you know. And and again, it's this is now that they're. Their audience, their audience when they were coming up is now the age where if they've done well with themselves in life, they've got disposable income. Right. So seven fifty. Yeah. I mean it's but it, the thing that, that strikes me though is that the basically the cheapest ticket, at least in Cincinnati, that's in the pavilion is like seventy five dollars. Um, and that's like way up top. Like to get like halfway down, you're at a hundred five dollars. I was wondering like, about this. And I was that's what and that's before fees or anything. You know, you're going to end up at like one thirty or something. Holy now the smart. lawn, the lawn is I think twenty nine dollars. So I could stomach that. Although just seeing them that far up, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. But um, so yeah. So if you want a decent seat, expect to pay um, pay the price for it. So uh, last thing, and this is about ticket prices um, yes. before the holidays. Um, before we depart for Ohio for Thanksgiving, um, we're going to head to Nashville and go see that. I think we're going to go see that last waltz show. Oh, nice. At, the uh, at, Brid- at bridge. No, it's at Bridgestone. Oh, oh, the real, yeah. The big one was yeah. with Robbie and stuff. Yeah. With okay. Robbie and Emily, Emily and Harris. And what time do you want me to meet you there? Or is this- <laughs> we can meet, Okay, but <laughs> here's the thing is that I went last night and just looked at tickets and, and we're trying to figure out stuff with friends and that we are staying with. Oh, so, so you just let, let me know when, when I'm included in the friends conversation. Sure. Clearly I haven't up till now. <laughs> well, anyway, I was looking at ticket prices. Do yeah. you want to guess what a ticket is for that show? Like in um, not on the floor and like 200 level at, at Bridgestone. So basically straight back from the stage, but a little bit off to, um, a little bit this, off to the left. This is face value. Yes, face value face. before fees. Um, I'd say one seventy. Thirty-four dollars and fifty cents. Wow. Huh? And there's still some available. Yeah. Wow. So that is pretty amazing. Yeah. That a show like that. Now it's one of those things where I want to make sure I go back and look and didn't screw that up. And then everybody's going to wonder. Yeah, like, you said it's like a top, or is that like no? Like so standard ticket section two twenty two, which is the loge, which is so there's the floor and then the lower bowl and then the loge. So this is the loge two twenty two. Is there something above that? Is there an, an yes, upper? Yes, there is. This, there's the upper bowl. Okay. Okay. And thirty four fifty. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, it looks like looks to be like there's a number of tickets. And even on the floor, I mean, what's floor tickets? Floor tickets are a couple hundred bucks, which, again, it's floor tickets. So that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah. that it's pretty, that reasonably priced. 
And even like lower bowl tickets are seventy-eight fifty. So, and again, <clears throat> that's like a who's. I mean, that's pretty much of musicians that are living. It's like Warren Haynes, Robbie Robertson, Emmy Lou Harris. Like if John Bell showed up, it'd pretty be like this is Jeff Kolath. This is your life, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, okay, good talk. So that's uh, that's what's happening in the world of music right now. Um, also, want to uh, let it before we get into our, our sports and politics because that's what I know everybody uh, tunes in for. We do have <laughs> well, some politics. Will be, politics will be short. Yeah, sports yeah. might be a little long. Uh, do we do have some panic that we're going to play uh, for you guys? But um, I did want to remind everybody um, about the new podcast that uh, coming from Osiris Pod. Are you excited about this, Jeff? Is this the one about the, uh, the big the Cypress? Yeah, Cypress. yeah, we talked about that last time. Yeah, so I just want to remind everybody again: it, it's coming out on November. I'm actually 4th. in it. I told you that, right? Yeah, no, no, I know. Um, <laughs> it's uh, comes out November 14th, and uh, it's called After Midnight, um, and it's a I think it's a five part um, podcast, sort of retrospective on the uh, Big Cypress Festival from uh, New Year's 1999. So. Uh, Subscribe for that. Uh, subscribe to that in whatever podcast uh, player you're listening to this in, uh, and help support the uh, the podcast network. Okay, so what do you want? What do you want to do first, Jeff? What's next? Uh, politics will be very brief. Okay. I want to thank the people of Kentucky uh-huh. and congratulate the people of Kentucky for apparently van- vanquishing a real uh, dirtbag. Of a, of a politician, and that would be your current governor, Matt Bevin, who will soon be your former governor, who lost to Andy Bashir. And it honestly goes to show that you can't screw over teachers and coal miners. Yeah, and, and police officers, too. And I mean, police. Like the fucking and, generally just, and generally, you just you can't, act for four years, just be a jerk. So, and, um, yeah, I mean, so, I won't, I, and honestly, won't make this uh, partisan. I mean, I think it, he sort of, and that, that shows you that, that a guy like that can, can cross, can essentially, he can unite uh, across party, party lines, yes. uh, you know, in the opposite way. So um, just as uh, the state of Alabama stood up for, um, <laughs> for, um, you know, uh, victims of, of sexual abuse and pedophilia, um, Kentucky can, you know, can, can draw a line too. So yeah, uh, exactly. that's a good, that is a good sign knowing that, that we as a society can, you know, that there is a line that we can, uh, can stand up to uh, terrible people being in charge. So uh, Andy, your, your governor elect Andy Bashir is going to be pushing a, what's that thing about pushing a rock up a hill for the yeah. next four years. Yeah. No, but, uh, no. there's a, one of my coworkers used to work in state government. And so she's been, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, they call them merit and non-merit employees here. So mm-hmm. um, she has been a non-merit employee. So she was at the, in the former democratic, uh, I get, well, I guess, and uh, Steve Bashir's uh, uh, administration. And then was, was canned four years ago when Bevan took over. And so now there's folks reaching out to her, you know, as Bashir gets ready to come back in and it's like, um, you know, is that something you want to do? You know, that basically it's going to be, 
nearly impossible for him to get anything done because, yeah. you know, both, uh, both houses of the legislature are, you know, like veto proof, um, Republican and basically every other constitutional officer. In fact, every single other constitutional officer in the state is Republican. So, um, it's going to be tough for him to get a whole lot done, but, um, you know, we'll see. It could, it's better than the Bevan. So I'll go with that. Yes. Um, so yeah, thank you for your, uh, thank you for your congratulations. We're very excited. Um, and then congratulations to you for your uh, for your college basketball one of your college basketball teams, um, I guess for for standing up to the uh, to the governing <laughs> the governing body of the sport is that is that what we're rooting for? That's where we are right now. Okay. Um, so what Harvey's talking about is James Wines. Wiseman um, was was ruled eligible by the NCA in May. And then his eligibility was called into question and then sent notice to the school that he would likely in this past week that he would likely be ruled ineligible. Um, whereas most schools then will sit a player for fear of repercussion. The University of Memphis basically flipped the double bird and said, mm-hmm. we're playing this guy. Mm-hmm. And so they played him in a meaningless game Friday. They're playing a big game actually tomorrow out in Oregon, uh, in Portland against uh, the University of Oregon, both two, both our top 15 ranked teams. Um, he was on the plane. He practiced today. And so I'm interested to see if he's on the court tomorrow night. Uh, obviously, this is not the first time that the University of Memphis has had a run-in with the NCAA. Mm. Um, Coach Dana Kirk with Memphis State in the 80s, uh, vacating the 2008 national runner-up under uh, Coach Cal because of Derrick Rose likely not taking his own ACT mm-hmm. uh, when he was a high school student in Chicago. And among myriad other things, but then this is the the latest thing. So um, it's been an interesting uh, last few days here in Memphis. Obviously, the city is sort of getting Memphis about it, which it just sort of like it a- activates everybody's chip on the shoulder and says, damn right, we're going to stand up for our guy. And part, part of it is also um, he's just so damn good at basketball. Mm. And so we all just want to see him play yeah. <laughs> because it's just, I mean, even – the first game of the or the regular season and against UIC, like, I mean, admittedly, the competition's not great, but it's just not fair. It's well, just how, how I, I good wanna, he is. I, I want to talk about the actual, um, you know, crime or wrongdoing that, that's oh. alleged. But no, I, before that, I want to ask you your opinion about the the school strategy of flipping the double bird and whether that might in you know in the short term or long term backfire as far as um you know whatever success that the team has or lack thereof that you know the ncaa may say well no sorry he's not eligible and you've you know you, all these games you won don't count basically and you're not allowed in the ncaa tournament or you're you know any of those things is it i mean obviously it's a risky play but you you think it's the right move I think it's the right move for now. I think um, the NCAA has shown that if you, even if you lay down for them, you still are going to get hammered like Ole Miss did with the football team and the violations under Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you fight and if you push, especially now when the NCAA is probably the weakest it's ever been, um, like North Carolina all- did, and then didn't get anything. Yeah, ex- exactly. There. I mean, yeah, North Carolina, the situation with Kansas, LSU, Arizona. There's all these high-profile cases that are out there right now where we have coaches on on wiretaps talking about illegal stuff. 
mm-hmm. and likely have done illegal stuff. And you don't see any punishment coming to the Kansases of the world or the Arizonas of the world or to the LSUs. And so, um, and LSU, you know, suspended Will Wade, but then they reinstated him. And Arizona, you know, I guess they suspended Sean Miller for what, a game or two, but then brought him back. Um, Bill Self is still, is, I mean, they're not just, I mean, he's flaunting right. <laughs> what went on. For God's sake, they had Snoop Dogg at their Midnight Madness. So, um, so I think Memphis's strategy is the correct one right now. I mean, I think you push push as much as you can, show that you're not going to lie down, show that you're willing to go to the mat for for the kid, um, and hopefully work out a resolution that maybe it's a five, six, seven game suspension, and then he can play the rest of the year. Um, but if it looks like it's going to be a full season and with other things coming after that, then you really have to reconsider. Um, I think the team is really unified behind James. They're unified behind Penny. Um, t- you know, Tyler Harris, the point guard, um, started last year, backup point guard from Cordova. He, uh, Tennessee, you know, he was, went on the plane last night wearing like a t-shirt with a bullseye in the back of it. So they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're sticking up for what they believe. And I mean, we could have, have a whole podcast about how ridiculous, how, did he, did they break a rule? Yes. I'm not disputing that they broke a rule. Do I think the rule is stupid? Yes, I do think right. the rule is stupid. It is still, um, just to clarify though, it is actually a rule that was broken. Oh yeah. I, okay. I've never, right. I've never, I've never denied that. Okay. I just think, I just think that if, if, if you're going to fight, now's the time to fight. Sure. And, it, and if, and that's it, it's just, it's a Memphis is a city that, I think again wears its chip proudly mm-hmm. and w- w- respects fighting more than if they would have just sat James down with the with with, with this stuff so much in flux. And I, but obviously it like it taints the good vibes of what was going to be a fun season with all the penny love mm-hmm. with this number one recruiting class. Um, you know, but it's made for some funny memes like the one of uh John Calipari standing on the balcony on, on NCAA headquarters, like looking all like godfathery, which was super funny. Yeah, because um, of cause course, because of course that went around on Friday that Cal is the one that did it, right? Because if because if anybody is in bed with the NCAA, it's it's John Calipari because they love him. Yeah. But uh but no, I mean, and Cal actually said today that he thinks Wiseman should play or he hopes Wiseman can play. Because right. he's a good kid, and he didn't he didn't accept the money. His mom accepted the money, but that doesn't make it right. It's the same thing as Brian Bowen. It's the same thing as Cam Newton. Um, you know all the stuff at Kansas last year with Billy Preston and 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 that uh, kid from Brazil or D'Souza. Um, so again, was a rule broken? Yes. Do I think the rule stupid? Double yes. But it's just you gotta you gotta you gotta push it as much as you can and as long as the team and the community are supporting it keep going and if it you know if that starts to wane or it looks like it could result in some serious ramifications then you got yeah you got to pull back i do think um and i'm not gonna like um you know crow here or anything but and you know knock on wood anything terrible happens chris mills but every envelope (laughs) but i will say that um I have said since Calipari has been here, you know, among all the people complaining about how he cheats, that that he hasn't cheated because there's no reason for him to cheat here. And I don't think that he has. And I think that's no. reinforced by the fact that all these other things have come out and there has been, you know, nary a whiff of 
of any impropriety on the part of Kentucky or any of the folks uh, associated with it, just because I think they don't need to. They get their yeah. pick of who they want, and you know he cheated at UMass and he cheated at Memphis. End of story. <laughs> but he does not cheat it. He does not cheat at Kentucky. He he got the guy to take uh, Derek Rose's SAT in uh, in high school when he was. Uh, well, the other part of it is is uh, just I think he's better. He doesn't need to. Uh, shall we say? Um, bring in questionable character, people right. of questionable character exactly. at Kentucky, like he did here at Memphis. Sure. Sean Banks was a legitimate gang member. Mm-hmm. Like not just like, you know, sadly people will say just cause a guy's got tattoos and it's got an attitude. Oh, he's a thug. No, yeah. Sean Banks was a legitimate member of a gang uh-huh. and Cal knew knowing this still brought him to the university yeah. of Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well I want, I do though, just on the Wiseman thing. So when this happened, what year, when did he move to Memphis? 2017. 2017, like for the 17, 18 school year. Yes. So before his junior year. So that was, yeah. and this is, so that was, what Penny's only year as a high school coach? No, it was what his second or third year. Second year, but like his his last one though, right? Because then he moved to Memphis the year after that. Yes. So just to to play, you know, uh, skeptic. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he had essentially been trying to get Tubby run out of town. I mean, Penny had been angling for the job at Memphis, right? I mean, we all agree. That that is that was something that he was aspiring to, I would think at the moment that he that he gave Wiseman the money to move to Memphis, right? I mean, he was a year oh, away, yeah. a year Anybody, away from getting the job. Or I think than, on I think on Friday I sort of fell into that like how was he going to know? Right. But today, like Gary Parish laid this out really well on his show today, and he's got a column up, um, and he's a see writes for CBS Sportsline, but he's based here in Memphis and has a drive time show every day. And GP was totally correct. I mean, he was just, he was just how did how you know saying it was unfathomable that Penny would become the coach of the University of Memphis and James Wiseman would follow him here is not yeah. a plausible argument. And the reason why, because I fathomed it, I thought uh, about it, I talked about did. it on of this show yes. two years ago, right? Um, and again, well, eleven thousand dollars well spent is what you would say. Yeah, and again, it was very suspicious when Wiseman transferred from Ensworth in Nashville, which is this uber prestigious private school to Memphis East, which is a public school. And Memphis East has some very good programs there, but it is not to the level of an Ensworth Academy. Um, And so the TSSA, the, the Tennessee sports high school authority um, actually said he was not eligible to play good for them um, originally. And then, backed off and then let him play. Uh, um, But again, that doesn't take into account this kid. And I think, I think that's the other part of it too. Wiseman is, he is, again, I'm not, not just saying that he is a good kid. He is a smart young man. Mm -hmm. He is a smart young man, a good kid who's happens to be amazing at basketball. And um, I'm not saying he was willfully ignorant of everything that was going on, but at the same time, um, you know, he could get punished. And again, if the NCAA was going to rule him eligible, they should have just done it in May. Then he could have pulled up stakes and gone to play in New Zealand with RJ Hampton. Well, um, I mean, that was my thing about the Derrick Rose deal was, you know, they said so they cleared him too. Yes. Right. And, and he basically played the entire season. And then after the season was over, this whole thing came up with the SAT and it's like, well, how do you hold a team or, you know, program, um, you know, accountable for something that, that they, 
didn't know. And, you know, I mean, I, they say, well, they shouldn't have played him. I was like, well, I, we didn't know. Like you said, he was fine. You know? Yes. Exactly. You know, like we don't, it's not our job to investigate every single, you know, test score. It's like, you know, the test score was good. You said the test score was good. It was, so yeah, no, I, I, I get it. It's uh, it's tough. So then the question is, um, so clearly Penny does not have very many fans in the uh, coaching circuit. No. Um, because he's stolen players from, from other elite programs for, to put together this number one class. So then the question was who, who, you know, tipped the NCAA on, on the payment <laughs> for Wiseman. I don't think it was a tip. I think it was something that was just going to eventually come be on, be on everybody's radar anyway. Okay. Um, it just, it was, it, again, it, that, the, the, the transfer from Ensworth to East got so much attention, um, that it was bound, this was bound to come up at some point anyway. Um, it's not like somebody all of a sudden dropped a bunch of random surveillance photos off in Indianapolis. <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't, there, it's not that complicated. And again, like I've talked about before, Memphis, Memphis, the city and the fan base just could care less about this stuff. Like so they just it, don't care. It's not like uh, Pete Thamel and, and Pat Forty uh, walking around Memphis, or Birmingham trying to find uh, people <laughs> to say something terrible about Eric Bledsoe when he was in high school uh, and poor no. and living in a in a car. No, no definitely no, not. Like okay. No, but you know, Penny made his made like you said has not made a lot of friends um, in the coaching fraternity and basketball media has has not been necessarily generous to him either. Um, and so this year was sort of a, a sh- put up or shut up year for him. And even with, even without James, they'll still have a good team. They'll still compete for the AAC. They'll still compete for a top, you know, four or five seed on selection, selection Sunday. But, you know, a season that I think everybody had sort of pen in pen to a sweet 16 and maybe a little bit better now probably just reverts back to, Hey, if we make the second weekend, it's been a good year and just kind of, and then build, uh, build for next year and get another good recruiting class and move on. All right. Um, well, I got one question before we get to the music and that is, um, do you, do you think that we will have, will there be another, um, will there be another issue with, with Penny and the NCAA, uh, you know, in the next two years, will, there, yes. will we have another situation like this? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because you're dealing with high level players and maybe not the the most um, quality. Scrupy, scrupulous handlers. Scru- yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes, that's what I was trying to say. Um, one of my so, favorite uh, favorite phrases in 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 sports world is grassroots basketball, which uh-huh. to me when I hear that I assume of like people just playing basketball for the love of the game and getting together and having these tournaments. It is the most crooked, shady thing with hustlers and runners and AAU coaches and shoe companies and, you know, high level basketball coaches, you know, at every school um, get involved with this stuff. And, you know, it's, it, to me, I've learned more about it since I've come to Memphis because Memphis sports talk and just Memphis in general is so is such a hub of grassroots basketball through Penny's team, obviously, but also Thad Young has a team here. Um, Thaddeus Young, NBA players from Memphis. And so I've really, you know, picked up and learned more about it. 
Um, it just re- has made me even much more of a champion of this being able, allowing players to just to do whatever they want to do when they leave high school. If they go to the pros, they go to the pros. If they go to college, I think they should have the baseball or the hockey rule or the, or the baseball rule where you stay for two years. Mm-hmm. And then if they want, can make money off of their likeness and image, then by all means do so. Mm-hmm. You know, just get rid of these stupid rules and just admit that what, what actually is, which is it's a massive cash making enterprise, but not for the people that actually make the money. So you're saying like AAU coaches are really, are really, um, non-reputable there some they're, are okay what, <laughs> are you trying to say that are you trying to get me to say penny's not a respectable aau coach is well, that I what mean, you're trying to get me to I, say i mean i our coach was not on the aau circuit he was uh, wow he was coached in memphis which is a, a you know a, a, a institute of higher learning yes right yeah <laughs> university of memphis all right um well, that was talk- fun. Do you have any yeah. other takes? You need anything else you want to get off your chest on the no, Wiseman thing? Hashtag free, uh, free Wiseman. It might, it might snow here tonight, and it's going to yeah. snow where you are. So yeah. winter is here. I'm so yeah. you know, it's actually. I, was, I think we should call this episode "The Cold November Rain" because it was cold and rainy, and made me uh, want to listen to Axl Rose and see him serenade Stephanie Seymour. <laughs> um. I wish the panic could cover that at Halloween. That would have been because they could have done it on on Saturday or Sunday, or Friday or Saturday. It would have been the November show. Yeah. Um, Okay. (laughs) Should we talk about music? Yeah, let's do that. You uh, you made these picks. I did, and you were very lukewarm about them. So I'll do most of the talking, I guess, for this sex portion of the show. I just picked two sections from two shows, uh, both in the state of Montana, 11-10-2011-11, in Bozeman, and then 11-11 in Missoula. Missoula at the University of Montana. So we've got Montana State on the 10th and in the Brick Breeden Fieldhouse, and then the Adams Fieldhouse in Missoula, home to one of the greatest Grateful Dead shows of all time, 5-1474, I believe is the date Mm -hmm. for that one. Uh, that's a great show, Wallace Sound Tour. Um, so I chose two selections. Um, I think we'll just play them both back to back just because they're relatively short. So a lot more talking than music this episode and a little bit more of a traditional format, but I'll kind of introduce the 10th. It um, starts off with a Heroes opener, uh, Rebirth Waker, and then the section we're going to play uh, in the middle of the first set, uh, Legba, Stop Go, Cream Puff War, and then Sleepy Monkey, Lily, One-Armed Steve. And then second set, um this is really a great second set uh, let's get down to business opener really <clears throat> you're right harvey rock into walking is both is are both really good um jack pigeons drums astronomy demand jam uh into one kind favor and then and my favorite place to put this song harvey blue indian post drums mm. where it mm. just is meant to be um yeah. blue indian into climb to safety and then the encore of can't find my way home and to make sense um, so uh, just a couple things. The the rock walk in the rock is really nice and long, and then it, it slips right into walk in. Which um, I have to look back and see the every uh, the every time play like how often they did that combination um, because I know the one of my favorite shows of all time, the Johnson City ninety six mm-hmm. show, is a rock walk in rock, uh, which works really well. Um, and so yeah, whatever it is, you know, I'm not a musician to know how those two songs go well together, but um, 
they, they combined well. And then, um, what, uh, what was the other thing I was going to, um, so then, yeah, then the, the really big pigeons into drums. And then I learned from Ted Rockwell from our last, uh, podcast together this summer that it is actually astronomy domini. Yeah. I was just going to see, I said to mine and then I was like, that's yeah. not how you say it. Right. So thanks I've for always said to mine too, but yeah, astronomy domini. And, uh, so yeah, great. This second set I think is massive. It's really good. So, um, check that out if you, if you guys haven't, um, this is, this is a sweet spot tour too. You know, I know yes. Sam always talks about, uh, fall 2000, especially after Halloween that the band was really just firing on all cylinders. And this is the week leading up to, um, some shows we've talked about before, which is eleven seventeen in Madison where the band wrote the set list or the road crew wrote the set list. And then the 18th in St. Paul. Um, and then of course heading towards the end of November with the, you know, Louisville show on the 21st and then the Bloomington Champagne Murray Carbondale run. Um, speaking of Carbondale, have you got your Carbondale LP set yet? Uh, I haven't. I have not. I didn't order it. Um, um, I, I need your, to. Your local record store may have it. Yeah. No, I need to do that. I bought mine at the end of all music located on the square in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, they have a, many copies that they will gladly sell you. Um, so 1111 from Missoula, uh, first set framed by the takeout port. So takeout blackout blues, um, bears gone fishing with a really cool kind of opening jam, a uh, really nice kind of, uh, Jojo centric, a clav intro into, uh, into that song and Avis. Um, I will say that this tape sounds so amazing. Mm. So play it loud. It's a Julian Eldridge tape. Wherever you are, Julian, thanks for all the amazing shows that you taped back in the day with your AKG 480s into OD rig. Um, it was a great rig. And this and the, and the band sounded really good. Oh, like I yeah, feel like they were dialed in really yep, well. The new sound system is, in, is just cranking. Um, Ann Avis into Red Hot Mama. And like you can always, one of the ways that you can kind of detect how good a tape sounds and is, is, schools is the baseline and how crisp mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. it's like when red hot mama comes on it's just dum, 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 dum. Mm. it's just thundering and then nice. as, as if they listened to the show last week when i talked about you got yours coming in the uh, sixth slot you got yours comes in in the sixth slot of the first set a beautiful mm-hmm. six minute version um do what you like and imitation leather Susan and then porch song first set do what you like that's always a good thing second set uh surprise valley into heaven Nice transition into that dying man pick up the uh, picking up the pieces huge diner into stop breaking down drums uh, that thing Wrangler Henry Parsons and then we're gonna play the encore for you which is and it stoned me and bowlegged woman um, which again I think you know, both great covers both great songs the band two really great performances but just the quality of the tape you can hear all the nuance in schools's bass lines and jb's guitar and jb's voice um and we could talk about some of his random yowlings during the bow-legged um after this clip ends so harvey do you have anything else to preview from this show no i think you covered it i actually had this show not on dat i had this on audio cdr And it was given to me by my friend, Ben Meyer. It was one of the few shows that he gave me that I did not have. And uh, I still have it. It's still in my binder. It's the only copy I ever had of it. How about that? 
Ben Huffman. In your old case logic, huh? In my old case logic, which are now in the attic, but I still have all of those burned CDs for some reason. Um, all right, so let's get started. Uh, November 10th, 2000, from the Brick Breeding Fieldhouse at Montana State University. Um, middle of the first set, Papa Legba, Stopco, Cream Puff War, followed by November 11th, 2000, University of Montana in the Adams Fieldhouse. Uh, the Encore, and it stoned me into Bow-Legged Woman.
lightsabers out there.
Red Panic, uh, November, mid-November, 2000, November 10th in Bozeman, with a great middle of the first set, uh, Papa Legba and Destapko and the Cream Puff War, followed up by the Encore from November 11th in Missoula at the University of Montana, and it stoned me into Bowlegged Woman. We had some technical difficulties, so I'll just be, this is Jeff, I'll just be closing this episode out. Um, lots of good stuff in both these shows, so it was pretty hard to pick, but loved the, this middle of the first set three song run um again the tape sounds so good and just a killer version of papa legba and right when the song's about to end at about the six and a half minute mark uh the band just takes it in a totally different direction um it is a true jam um and and really just about three minutes of intense playing some great mikey great interplay with the band leading into a stop go and this is about the time when the stop goes start to get kind of reggae-y towards the end but still um great song about a nine and a half minute version of stop go and uh this podcast love affair with cream puff war won't won't ever end um still love the fact that this is the most frequently played grateful dead cover that this band has ever done 
um, and they almost do it in a thrash metal <laughs> style. Um, it definitely is a rare song in the Grateful Dead canon. Even the Dead stopped playing after a while. So, um, but a great version of it. And again, the sixth song out in this show, just super intense, um, showing that they really mean business. And of course, we mentioned some of the other great segments from this show. And then moving on to the eleventh. Um, again, Monster Diner in the second set, some really good elements in the first set, but this encore is just great. JB comes out and says something like, someday I'm going to grow, someday I'm going to turn into my daddy and goes into, and it stoned me, um, just crystal clear. Sounds great. Engage JB to the fullest. And then the bowlegged is just so fun. Um, schools all over the baseline, all over the intro. Uh, JB just does some classic JB raps, talks about going to buy Al Green records, uh, among other things. And just a great way to close up that show. The fans were clearly into both of these shows. You can hear him scream for Red Hot Mama in the first set. You can hear him scream for Stone, Me, and Bowlegged in the second set in Missoula. Just two great panic towns, Bozeman and Missoula. For, um, Bozeman there goes back to 93 at the Cat's Paw, 1028 Missoula, 1031 for the Halloween show on campus, the 95, Summer 95 tour, um, the uh, uh, <clears throat> the in-store at the uh, in, in Bozeman on the 18th and then the theater show and then the tw- uh, 20th at Missoula too. Um, and then of course in the, and the March 97 shows too. So just great shows in this, in this city, in a, in a state that doesn't have a ton of people, but they sure love their widespread panic. And so it's just two great shows. This, this whole run after this, they have a couple of days off. They head to Atta, um, the East center on 11, 14. Then they go to the university of Wyoming and Laramie. The only time they played in Laramie, November 15th, which is another great show. Uh, first set bar stools, really cool. Papa's home. I'm not alone. Papa's home in the second set. Um, cool encore. I think it's city of dreams Four uh, four corner room encore. Um, and then they make that two day trek across the great plains and November, 2000 was kind of like what we're, the weather we're experiencing now. It was really cold, um, headed up to Madison for the show on the 17th, up to St. Paul and the show on the 18th. Um, snowstorm came in on the 19th, so we didn't go to Ames. We've talked a little bit about that trip, but it was super cold, just like it is, you know, 19 years later this November throughout much of the lower 48. So, but enjoy these shows, enjoy this whole tour. It's, re- I mean, again, there's been some great music and we're really pleased with what the band's been doing lately, but this is the last great Mikey tour here um, in fall 2000. So I hope you enjoyed these selections. Want to give one little recommendation here at the end. Uh, a good friend of mine, Steve Rydell, who I knew, um, he went to University of Wisconsin-Madison. I went to University of Wisconsin-Lacrosse, and we ended up meeting through a mutual friend of ours, Jesse Gamble, who I believe of all things traded big boot tapes together. But Steve and I used to trade tapes and swap music and stuff. And he used to work, used to do some things for the Wisconsin Union director and used to book shows on campus and then did some promotional work in the city. So I used to see him at a bunch of shows and um, he did some great graphic design work in Chicago um, for uh, show posters and things, I think for the Metro, but for probably close to 10 years now, he's been part of this group called the Hood Internet. He and another guy, they do mashups and they do amazing work and they're super fun and they just dropped um five mashups on youtube um 50 songs from 1979 80 81 82 and 83 um the 1983 one is just sublime so check them out the hood internet h-o-o-d internet check them out on youtube they have videos to go along with their five songs i hope they do more of them but they're super creative they're super fun 
um, layering instrumental tracks over the top vocals and vice in and all over the place. So it's just really, really interesting stuff. So, but, uh, thank you all for tuning into episode 96, got some special stuff planned for 97, 98, 99 and 100 and 101, um, have some special guests and, um, hopefully play some things that y'all haven't heard before. So thank, uh, on behalf of Harvey and the fine people of Midway, Kentucky, this is, uh, Jeff, Oh, for the fine people of Memphis, Tennessee, signing off. Check us out, Blue's Tape, Facebook, and Twitter, among other things, and let us know about what you think of our shows. And everybody stay warm, stay dry, and have a good week. Everybody remember their parts? <laughs> Sounds like you do. All right, I'll shut up. Let's go back in time. <laughs> Don't you think I would?
you think I'd tell you, baby, if I only could? Am I acting crazy? Am I just too proud? Am I just plain lazy? 